This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Well, good morning, Christian Chapel. How are we all doing today? You guys are looking beautiful. Uh, I am coming from California. There are still some Christians in California. I know you all have been wondering, but uh, some of us are still, you know, building the kingdom there. And uh, no, God's doing a great thing there. And uh, I'm thankful, though, to be here today is actually my second time speaking here. Last time was in 2016, which is crazy. And so I'm back. Good to be back, but I want to just honor your pastors. So Chris and Angie, they're my friends. I actually knew them before they even got married. Can you think of, like, imagine that. This is a long time ago. Um, Chris looked exactly the same, and so did Angie. But, but what's funny, they don't age. Seriously, I'm like, they don't age. They're, like, eternal. It's amazing. Um, blessing of the Lord. But they are the same people off the stage as they are on the stage, and as a pastor, I just want to let you know, like, that's not actually normal. <laughs> um, th- there's not a lot of real ones uh, anymore in the world, but these are real ones that you guys have as pastors. So I just think we should honor them for how they lead this church so well. They're amazing people. They've hosted me so well. I've been to three basketball games in like two days. Incredible. Got my first D1 experience at Oklahoma State yesterday. It was pretty cool. Uh, So, man, thankful to be here with you. And uh, my wife and my family send greetings from Sacramento. So here's them. I want you guys to see them. So um, that's my wife, Chrissy. Uh, She's actually preaching literally probably right now at our church. And uh, she's Filipino. Give it up for the Filipinos. Come on, somebody. We got some Filipinos in the room. Come on now. Um, And so... That's my wife, Chrissy, and these are my boys. Kanan is 12, Kai is 10, and Charlie is 9. And so that's my family. They wanted to say hi to you guys. They're growing up fast. Last time I was here six years ago, you know, Corbin right there was like this big, and now he's way taller than me. It's awesome. So time goes quick, doesn't it? Doesn't time just go? Some of you just blinked and you saw gray hairs, and that's how I'm feeling right now. So uh, I want to share from God's Word. If you have your Bibles, go to 2 Samuel chapter number 6, early in the Old Testament. going to be sharing from there. But I want to share a message with you today entitled, The Flow of Glory. Everybody say glory. glory. So glory is a word that's seen throughout Scripture, but it's very nuanced. In fact, there's a lot of different working uh, definitions of glory. But I want to focus on it from the aspect of the presence of God. Because God's glory is his presence. But how I want to focus it on focus on it today with us is this. God's glory is his presence made manifest through us. You see it's his presence when we get his glory. His presence then is manifested through our lives in how we live. Now here's the problem in the church. This is something I've seen It's not just in the church, it's in the world, but it's permeated into the church. The problem in the church is we want to take the glory for ourselves rather than allow the glory to flow through us to everyone that we come in contact with. And you were meant to be conduits of the glory of God, of the presence of God, that you take the glory and you take his glory and then spread his glory, his presence, his love, his spirit wherever you go. 
But we're in a day and an age where we want the glory, right? We all want to be famous. We want to be insta-famous. We, we want more glory. There's an obsession with fame right now in our culture. And so what happens is the glory then stops with us and becomes only about us rather than doing what we were meant to do, which was allow the glory to flow through us wherever we go. And so that's what I want to impart to you today is that I don't just want the glory on me. Now, I want greater glory for you in your life. I want greater presence of God on your life. I believe we're going to get some of that today in this place. But I don't just want the glory on me. I want the glory to flow through me because his presence comes on me and then it flows through me in all the spheres of influence that I have. And so that's what we're going to be working at and looking at today as we talk about the flow of glory. So let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 6. I'm going to be reading starting in verse 1. I want to set the context for this. In chapter 5, David is anointed king of Israel. So Saul uh, was the first king, right? Israel wanted to be like every other nation. They're like, hey, we need a king. Give us a king. And, and so Saul is the the obvious choice, because he's tall and good looking, but he is not a man after God's own heart. So very quickly, God says, I need to replace him. Uh, David is anointed king. It takes a few years, uh, but then Saul dies. And in chapter five, David now takes the throne as king of Israel. But what happens is immediately after taking the throne is the Philistines say, oh, there's a new sheriff in town. There's a new king. We're going to attack. And so in chapter five, the Philistines attack and David thwarts the Philistines, destroys them, and then that brings us to chapter 6. Are you with me? Okay, you're with me today. Here we go. Verse 1, David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God. You guys know what the ark is, right? Think Indiana Jones. Come on, you all know what I'm talking about which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ohio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God. And Ohio went before the ark, having the, gl the glory flow through you. That's what we want to look at today. But you see, it requires some things. If you're going to get more glory on you, if you're going to have more of his presence flowing through you, it requires some things of you that we can learn from the life of David here how we should live. The first thing it requires is it requires a full commitment to his presence. I don't know if you caught what happened there. Sometimes we read the scriptures, we can just breeze by them. David is anointed king. And what is his first act as king? He says, I need the ark of God to be brought into the city right next to my home. Now, the ark of God was the physical embodiment of the presence of God. The ark of the covenant, the physical embodiment of the presence of God. The presence of God literally dwelled on and in the ark. And wherever it went, the power of God went with it. And Saul for years was king and never once brought the ark into the city. He never once brought the ark by his home. He actually left it, we know historically, 30 miles outside of the city on a hill in a priest named Abinadab's home and leaves it there to rot. And the first act of David 
is bring me the ark. Not only that, he is so committed to getting the ark that he says, I'm going to send 30,000 soldiers to ensure that it makes it into the city. Like, I want you to imagine you're a Benadab, and you come out in the morning, you open the door, and they're standing before you. Ah, ah, this is me being a soldier, okay? Ah, ah, ah. 30,000 soldiers surround your home and say, we need the ark. David wants the ark. Bring us the ark. David is fully committed to the presence of God. Why would Saul have not done this? Why would Saul have not wanted the presence of God with him? Because Saul was more concerned with him getting the glory than God getting the glory. And if the ark is with him, if the ark is leading his army, guess what happens? God gets glory. But Saul wanted the glory to come to him, and so he said, look what I've accomplished. Look at the armies that I've thwarted. Look at the enemies that I've killed. And this is the temptation for us to be like Saul instead of like David. That we want the glory to come to us. And so you understand the idea of a river or a reservoir? So I've actually been to the Dead Sea in Israel. I swam in it. It, is, uh, it has some of the highest salt content toxicity of any uh, sea in all of the world. So much so that nothing can live in it. Everything is dead in the Dead Sea, thus the moniker. But why is this? Because there's an inlet, but there's no outlet. The water comes in, but it never goes out. And what happens is the water then becomes toxic. It's the same way as Christians with God's glory. God's glory is good, you would agree? His presence is good, you would agree? But if we only allow his glory to come on us, but it never flows through us, we can very quickly become judgmental, hateful, angry, cynical, critical, and we come into church and all we feel is criticism and cynicism, and then anything we accomplish very quickly, we want the glory to be on us rather than given to God. This is why we must have a full commitment to his presence. That's why I'm so glad you're here. Do you know this matters, being in church? Like, I know you're like, yeah, but I'm a, I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit myself. I'm a tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. Yes, the Holy Spirit dwells with you wherever you go. You can experience his presence in your car, at your home, uh, at your job. But you know God, while he's a... God of people, he's also a God of places. And there's something powerful that happens when we're gathered together in one place. There is a different level, I believe, of his presence and glory that falls, and that's why we must prioritize the gathering of believers as you are doing right now. A full commitment to his presence. I'm thankful you're in a church that's committed to his presence, fostering the presence of God, inviting the presence of God in prayer, in worship, with the preaching and teaching of the word. You're in a good place. Make this part of your regular rhythm. Why? Because we need a full commitment. Like David was fully committed to God's presence. Why? That's how the water of glory flows through our lives. The second thing that we see that glory flowing through you requires, is it requires a change of pace. I'm talking about we got to be on God's pace, not our pace. How many know we are a fast-paced culture? I know you guys are in Oklahoma, and so sometimes people say y'all are a little slower paced, but I've been around Tulsa. Y'all are moving. 
okay? Uh, uh, and I'm from Calvary. We move. We're that Amazon one click. Let me get it the same day. Fast food, in and out. Come on. We're in and we're out. We get it as quick. We want things on our timeline, and yet God's timeline is different. You know, God's pace is often slower than our pace. Let me illustrate this for you. I'm going to jump forward in this story. So David, there was a little stop along the way. Uh, I don't have time to get into it. In fact, one of Abinadab's son touches the ark and dies. That's how powerful the presence of God is. He knew he wasn't supposed to touch it, but he touches it anyways. He dies. And, and finally, they get the ark, and they're bringing it into Jerusalem. It finally has made it. It took a few months, but they've made it. I'm picking this up at verse number 13. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, everybody say six, he sacrificed an ox and a fatted animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. I don't know if you caught it. Jerusalem is about three miles across. It would have taken from the gates, the gates beautiful, whatever gate they entered into, it would have taken about a mile and a half to get to the city center where David's palace was, his home was, which is where they're going to pitch a tent for the ark of the Lord to dwell within. And so it says here that from when they enter the gate, that every six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fatted animal. I want you to imagine this. So you guys know the Ark of the Covenant. There, there's the two poles, and there would be a person on every corner, and they'd pick up the Ark, and they would walk it in to the city every six steps. One, two, three, four, five, six. Put it down. David says, bring me an ox. Whoosh. Slices its neck. Blood everywhere. Bring me a fatted animal. Whoosh. Slices his neck. Blood everywhere. And then it says, he danced before the Lord. I don't know how y'all dance here. We hit the gritty, you know, in Sacramento. I don't, I don't know whatever dance you might be doing, but this is how we dance. No, this is just how I, I keep it safe. He dances before the Lord. And then he says, okay, pick up the ark. One, two, three, four, five, six. Bring me an ox. Put it down. Slice blood everywhere. Bring me a fatted animal. Slice blood everywhere. Dance before the Lord. Come on. David's going. He's in his linen ephod. Pick it up. One, two, three, four. You get the point. I'm not going to keep going. Can I tell you what this pace was? It was slow, it was bloody. It was sacrificial. Can you imagine the carnage behind this ark entering into the city? There is carcass. At, ox are not small animals. Fatted animals, whatever it was, they would have been bring, bringing different animals. Not small. There is blood and carcasses and, and David dancing in the blood and dancing through it as the people are rejoicing and blowing trumpets. At the entering of the ark, it would have taken a long time. But David said, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it at God's pace, not my pace. And I just want to challenge you today that we need to slow down, church. Some of you haven't prayed before the Lord besides over your meal real quick before you go to bed. You haven't prayed to God. You haven't sought God's face. Why? Because you're too busy to pray. 
When was the last time you picked up your word and, and dug into it and read it? Not just here on Sunday mornings, but Mondays through Saturdays. We don't have time because we're too busy to read his word. And then we wonder why we don't sense his glory like we used to. We wonder why we don't feel his presence like we used to. Can I challenge you that you would make a commitment this year to slow down your pace, to change your pace to his pace so you have time to get greater glory, greater presence on your life? That's my challenge to us. You know that Jesus, his ministry, the majority of it was done out of interruption. He'd be going somewhere and someone would stop him and he would stop and heal. He'd be going somewhere and someone would stop him and he'd bless. He'd, he, he'd minister to those who had needs. We are too busy. We got things to do, places to be, people to see that we do not even have room for the presence of God to flow through us. We don't have room for the glory of God to flow through us. And I just felt like God wanted to remind us, can you slow down? Can you slow down? Because I'm going to bring people and opportunities and interruptions, but they're moments for the glory to flow through your life to the other people that are desperate. Listen, I pastor in, in, in inner city, Sacramento, California. People are desperate. And you think, oh, well, that's there. No, no, that's here. There are people with big homes and a lot of money that are desperate. And we have the presence of God, the glory of God that this world is longing for. And they're trying to fill the void with all the other things. But only he satisfies. I want greater glory on you in 2024 than you've ever had in your life. And it's going to take us changing our pace, slowing down, learning to Sabbath, learning to seek his face on our own. Having the glory flow through you, it requires third, a heart concerned with worshiping God more than pleasing man. So David sacrifices. He brings the ark into the city. And his wife, Michael, who is the daughter of Saul, sees him. And here's what it says. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. And they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. Let me jump down to verse 20. And David returned to bless his household, but Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel honored himself today. If you don't know, that's sarcasm. <laughs> there is sarcasm in the Bible. Uh, Michael is being sarcastic here. She says, how the king of Israel, let me, get, let me do it with her tone. How the king of Israel honored himself today. Uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father. Ooh, this. And above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. Watch this. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes, but my female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. What is David saying to Michael? 
he says, woman, you ain't seen nothing yet. You thought that was me worshiping? I will abase myself even more so. In one version, he says, I will become even more undignified before the Lord. You see, what is Michael concerned? She's concerned with man's thoughts, what man thinks, how man feels. She's concerned with the fear of man. And here's David. He's taken off his royal linens. He's taken off his royal robe. He's taken off the, the, the apparel of a king. And he's in his linen ephod, his undies. Worshiping and dancing and prancing and, I don't know, gritting maybe and, and, and doing everything before the Lord. And she despises him for it. And she's embarrassed about it. And she says, how could you do this? And he says, I will become even more undignified before the Lord. Why? Because David cares more about worshiping God than pleasing man. And we have the tendency to fear man more than we fear God. We have the tendency to want to please man more than we please God. And, and, and I'm just going to be honest with you because I've seen this in my church, and, and, and I think we're all guilty of it, is we are more about our preferences than God's preferences. I'm going to talk about your worship for a minute. Is that all right, Chris, Pastor Chris? Can I talk to him? Can I preach at him? I'm leaving tonight, so it's all good. I can say whatever I want. I think sometimes we come here and we're like, yeah, this is nice, but I'm just kind of, I'm reserved. I just worship the Lord in, in my heart. And that's nice. I'm not saying you can't worship the Lord in your heart, but I want to tell you God has preferences. You see, my wife, She's all about the five love languages. And she tells me all the time, my number one love language is quality time. Here's the problem. Quality time is my last love language, church. I'm by nature, like I could be live for the party and fun and have a good time and I like people, but I get refueled by being alone. So technically I'm an introvert. And so my wife, she just wants to be with me all the time and spend time with me all the time. And so I'll come home sometimes. I'm like, I need to be alone. She's like, how could you do this? What do you mean you want to go to the gym by yourself? Can I come? I'm like, no. Here's what I've realized. 15 years of marriage. I've realized that while it may not be my natural inclination to fill my wife's love tank, I have to give her what she prefers. And that is what sacrificial, selfless love looks like. Now, can I, can I bring it to your worship? Do you know God has preferences? The Bible actually tells us his preferences when it comes to worship. It says, clap your hands unto the Lord. It says, lift up holy hands. It says, make a joyful noise. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. It says, dance before the Lord. These are God's preferences. And yet we come into church and we're like, yeah, but I, I'm just, it's just not me. I'm reserved. You see, this isn't about you. This is about him. We call this a service because you come here to serve him. 
And yet we've made church in the modern day about how we can be served. Now listen, I want you to get blessed. I believe you're going to get greater glory on your life today. I know that every time Pastor Chris teaches, God, God moves and you've received something. But ultimately, if you come in here and you're like, worship was kind of weak today. And, and, and that guy from California, I was not feeling him and all that. It doesn't matter. Because this isn't about what you're going to get. It's about what you came here to give. I came here to give God praise. I came here to give God worship. I came here to serve my Lord. And so my challenge to us is that we would move our hearts to a place of worship. More than pleasing man or fearing man or worrying about what the people around us might think or even what our spouse might think. I know you may have fought on the way this morning in the car, but you can still come in here and worship. I want to close that the keys will come back. The final thing that the flow of glory requires is a person who carries God dreams as much as their own dreams. You see, we're in a a moment in our culture where we see God as a means to our end. And so the only time we really go to him is for him to bless what we want to do. God has become a genie in a bottle. He's become the ATM machine. Like we go to him just to bless what we want. What we want to do, what we want to accomplish, what we want to build. But I wanted to ask you a question. When was the last time you asked God what his dreams were? Because ultimately, he should be the dream. More of him is the dream. More of his presence is the dream. More of his glory is the dream. And what I found when I make Jesus my dream, I just want to know you more. I want to be more intimately connected to you. I want a deeper relationship with you. I found that everything else works itself out. But we've got it flipped. And we just want to use Jesus. He's the means to our end. He is the end, church. He is the goal. He is the dream. David, chapter 7. I'm going a few verses forward. Historians will tell us that from the end of chapter 6 to the beginning of chapter 7, seven years have gone by. So David is anointed king at 30. Battles the Philistines, brings the ark into the the city. And then watch what happens, chapter seven, verse one. It's seven years later, he's 37 now. Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, see now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. David has made it to the mountaintop. He's the king of Israel, 
But not only that, it tells us here, seven years into his kingship, he has rest from all his enemies. He has thwarted his enemies, destroyed his enemies, killed his enemies, and God has given him rest and peace. And he's sitting back, chilling in his castle, in his home, in his home of cedar, in the palace. You would think he would be like, yes, I made it. I'm on the mountaintop. I've gotten the dream. I did it. I'm just going to sit back, kick back, and relax. But it was in this moment that God doesn't even speak to David, it tells us. But David's heart is grieved. Why? Because he says, here I am in this palace, this home of cedar, and my God is in a temporary home. My God is in a tent that's been pitched with pegs and canvas. My God does not even have a permanent home. And so in this moment of the mountaintop and the dream that many of us would have sat back, relaxed, and done nothing, David's heart is grieved and he says, I must build my God a home. And this is the beginning of the process of the most audacious, beautiful temple ever being built that he sets the plans in motion for and his son Solomon completes. You see, we need God dreams again, church. Not just our dreams, not just God be a means to my end. No, he is the end. He is the goal. And I believe there are God dreams that he wants to release in this place today. Three weeks ago, I drove from Sacramento to San Francisco to attend a prayer conference. I've never been to a prayer conference, but one of my buddies pastors a church in San Francisco. Yes, there's also Christians in San Francisco. I know, shocking. And, uh, it's a real Christian church. And, and so I drove to San Francisco. It's about an hour and a half from Sacramento. And I attended this prayer conference. I actually went by myself because my wife had a thing going on that day. And it was on Friday and I was there all day. There were workshops and that night there was a service. And I sat in the service and it was a good service and the preacher was preaching. And as I'm sitting there, I hear the Lord speak to me. And he says, I want to give you a gift tonight. And I'm like, okay. So I just keep sitting there. I'm sitting through the service. And the message ends. And the first worship song starts. And I hear God again. I want to give you a gift tonight. In fact, I'm going to give you the gift of tears. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Because God knows I don't cry. My wife will tell you, in 15 years of marriage, I think she's seen me cry twice. I'm a man. I don't cry. Tough. Keep it together for everybody. And so I sat through the first worship song at the end, and it's 9.30, and I'm like, man, I got an hour and a half drive home. Like, I got to go. So I started packing up my stuff. I was like, God, this was great. And I'm walking out. And God says, stop. I said I had a gift for you. I'm like, God, I'm not trying to get that gift. <laughs> the gift of tears? I don't think so. He says, stop. So I put my stuff down. I was like, all right, God, I'll give you one more song. And the song started, and they begin to sing. All is for your glory. All is for your glory. 
And as they sung that the second time, I begin to weep. And it was an ugly cry, church. I was weeping and I couldn't stop weeping and there's people around me, I'm like trying to fight it back. And I'm weeping and I'm weeping and the song goes and I cried through the whole song and then the song ended and God was like, you can go. That's literally what I felt. I didn't hear his voice, but I just felt like God's like, hey, you can go. And so I packed up my stuff, I walked to my car and began to drive home. And as I'm driving, I put on the song again because I didn't really understand what God was trying to say to me. What was he trying to do? Like, that was weird, God. I'm not trying to cry regularly. I'm driving home, like, God, what was that about? And I heard the voice of the Lord again. Again, not audibly, but in my heart. And I know it's God because he says things I wouldn't say. He said, Caleb, you've been a pastor for 20 years. You've been serving me since you were five years old. And you thought you had experienced all there was of my glory. But I gave you that tonight to let you know you've just barely scratched the surface. I have more for you than you can ask, think, or imagine. You're just starting to tap in to the sense of what my presence is. And so that's what I felt like I was sent here to tell you. Number one, if you're going to get greater glory on your life flowing through you, it's going to require some things of you. But second, that there is greater glory and presence of God that he wants to shower on you, pour out on you. He wants you to experience him in a new way, in a fresh way, in 2024, unlike ever in your life. Some of you are like, but Caleb, I'm 85 years old. That doesn't matter whether you're eight or 85. God has a fresh infilling of his presence, power, and glory that I believe he wants to pour out in this moment. Why? Because this world needs a church full of his glory for it to flow through us wherever we go. Would you bow your heads with me? Cross this room. Before we go, you're in here, you say, Caleb, if I was honest, I would say that's me. I've been feeling dry. I've been feeling disconnected from his presence, from his glory. And today, you just feel like the Lord right now wants you to respond, to receive something fresh, a fresh infilling, fresh glory, fresh presence. If that's you, you're like, that's me. I need it. I want it. You maybe even are desperate for it. I want you to slip your hand up and put it down if that's you right now. Yeah. Hands going up around the room. You can put them down. I want to pray right now. And I believe as I pray that God is going to begin to release gifts glory, presence in this place in some of your lives like you haven't experienced in a long time. Maybe the gift of tears is going to be released right now. You haven't cried in years, but God wants to release it on you. Lord, right now, I just pray for a fresh infilling of your glory, of your presence. God, that we would in this year, 2024, long to know you deeper and more than we've ever known you. Lord, that we would experience you in a new way, in a fresh way. God, I pray for the gift of tears to be released. I pray for the gift of your spirit to be released, the gift of tongues, the gift of prophecy, God, the gift of interpretation. Lord, right now, release glory on your church so that we can then take the glory wherever we go and spread it to those who need it. Lord, meet your people right now where they are. Show us your glory, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.
Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.